Hello, everybody, and welcome back to I Fucking Love This Movie. Episode 13, I'm going to be talking about two movies, Weird, The Al Yankovic Story, and the latest Steven Spielberg movie, The Fablemans. This is probably going to be the last episode I record for this year, so that's why you're getting a two for, for episode 13. Before we get the show started, we have to drop a few tributes. First, we lost Jason David Frank a couple weeks ago. He was Tommy Oliver on the Power Rangers. He was the Green Ranger. He was the White Ranger. He was a various other assortment of Rangers throughout the Power Rangers history. Dude just loved being a fucking Power Ranger, and that was so awesome. I never met him. I didn't know the guy, but I followed him on social media. Of course, I'd follow Tommy from the Power Rangers, man. Childhood hero. I grew up watching the Power Rangers, and Tommy was a fucking game changer, dude. I mean, the Power Rangers as a whole was a game changer because I remember watching that first episode and just being immediately hooked, just like every other kid in the country at that time. You know, we enjoyed those five original Rangers for a couple months, and then all of a sudden, Tommy came into the picture. I mean, he just was the best martial artist, and as far as the Power Rangers getup was concerned, he had the best one. I mean, he was the Green Ranger, had the fucking shield, you know, and he was. He was not one of the good guys initially. He was a bad motherfucker. And then towards the end of the Green Ranger saga, he became evil and joined forces with the Power Rangers. And the Power Rangers kicked even more ass. And then at some point, he became the White Ranger. And then the movie came out sometime after that. And, dude, that movie was fucking awesome. I have every intention on watching that this weekend because it's been a really long time. One of the few movies I've seen more than once in the theater. I remember my mom took jeff and i to go see it when it came out and then nana's like hey they're playing that power ranger movie up at the state theater you want to go see it we were just kind of like we already saw it she's like well you want to watch it again we're like hell yeah and i think my i think jeff ended up with the movie poster from that movie theater um of the power rangers because i remember i got the judge dread one because nana knew the woman that ran the state theater at the time and she bought it off of him and i think she got it from christmas for him and i ended up getting the judge drama yes the stallone one fucking ripped me apart in the comments i actually enjoyed that as a kid i have not watched that in such a long time but power rangers man that was fucking crazy i got off topic like i normally do i apologize i drink way too much coffee so i'm kind of at this point redoing the entire episode i had it all um done and then i went to bed last night i just wasn't satisfied with it i was like let me get a few cups of coffee in me and i'll just hammer it out again and that's what i'm doing right now so back to jason just a humble dude loved what he was known for loved his fans and like i said this is all outside looking in i never knew the guy but i did follow him on social media and just a real insightful dude i posted a video on my instagram stories about him that actually that had him and he was talking about life being a battle and you being a soldier and how it's okay to sometimes lose the battle but you keep fighting and i was like dude this is some deep shit so like i said i re i posted it on my instagram stories and i saved the video on my collections on instagram and then there was another video i seen after he had passed he was standing in the doorway of a comic book store that he was doing a signing at he's like I'm just going to say this. Don't ever be afraid to tell me that I was your hero. I'll never get tired of that. You know, if you're standing at somebody's table and they get tired of hearing that, you shouldn't be standing at their table. You will never have that with me. I welcome it. And I was like, dude, he was the real deal. So rest in peace, Jason. Um, we also lost Kirstie Alley a few days ago. I'm not too sure around. I know it's sometime this week. Uh, she was on Cheers. She was in or it may have just been her voice in the Luke Who's Talking franchise. The one movie I remember watching her in was for Richer or Poorer. It was her and Tim Allen. They were like a rich couple, and they lose all their money. They go bankrupt, so they become Amish. 
And she was also in another one of my favorite movies that I actually just watched a couple days. Uh, Michael Crichton's Runaway. I know I talked about it on the last episode, but you know Michael Crichton directed it. Yes, the guy who wrote Jurassic Park. Uh, stars Tom Selleck, Cynthia Rhodes, Kirstie Alley, and Gene Simmons. Fucking awesome movie. Power Rangers knockoff here recently. The uh, Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad. That's just a badass show title. Pretty much the same formula as Power Rangers. You know, they bought the rights to a Japanese TV show, took the fight scenes out, and re-edited them with like an American storyline. Um, the show has Matthew Lawrence in it. He plays Sam, who uh, gets sucked in his computer and he becomes Servo, this like badass like computer superhero, and he fights these monsters. But unbeknownst to him, the school bully Matthew Frank creates them, scans them in his computer, and they come to life through KiloCon, Malcolm's kind of like mentor boss kind of thing. I mean, they're both evil. Like Malcolm hates high school and has a crush on the same girl Sam has. And KiloCon's like this evil doer of the dark web, essentially. Fucking awesome TV show. I love it. It reminds me of Tron a lot in a lot of ways. It's like a Power Rangers Tron, if you will. Um, made in the mid nineties and all these kids have like dope computer setups. I mean, the show is the computers were uh, furnished by compact and you know, it's like 1994, 1995 and all these kids have dual monitors and it blew me away. Malcolm for being like the bad guy, quote unquote has like a sick setup. Like it's just like these two big ass compact computer monitors. And just like, that was like, Holy shit. I didn't, I knew people did dual monitors back then. Not so much. I mean, now it's just everywhere, but that was the one thing I, that I took notice when I started rewatching. I'm having fun revisiting it. It's just a great show. I loved it. Like I said, it's my favorite Power Rangers knockoff. There were several that came out after the Power Rangers, you know, VR Troopers and Beetleborgs, which is still not my favorite. I need to rewatch VR Troopers. Um, so I've been watching that. I've been diving into my Andy Milligan box set that I got from the Severn Black Friday sale last year. Um, what am I watching out of this? Hold on. Legacy of Blood. Pretty interesting. Um, I did not get anything this time around. I really wanted that Dario Argento bundle, but I didn't get to it. So hopefully next year I'll purchase the titles from that because, you know, they released two of his movies, one of which I don't think has ever gotten an American release. And the one, The Four Flies on Grey Velvet, got released, oh my God, years ago. Because I remember buying it when it first came out because it was like the lost Argento movie because he, you know, hit big on the scene with The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. And he did that. I don't know if that came before or after Cat of Nine Tales, but Four Flies on Grey Velvet was like this lost movie, quote unquote, because Paramount put it out here in the States and they wouldn't let any, they wouldn't license it out. And then somebody did in the late 2000s and I bought it, but Severin like remastered it, put the Italian cut in it, and then the American cut in 4K. So I will definitely be picking that up next year. Um, and speaking of music, I got to watch the Guns N' Roses concert that is included on the Use Your Illusions box set that just came out. Um, they shot a concert at the Ritz in New York, which is this really small club. And they filmed it on May 16th, 1991. And two days after I turned four years old. And shot on 35 millimeter, just incredible. The restoration is just, oh, just amazing. And it's a real interesting thing to watch because... This was shot in May. Both Use Your Illusion albums wouldn't come out till September. So a lot of the stuff they were playing were from those albums. But nobody had heard it yet because the album wasn't out. I'm, I think Knocking on Heaven's Door, which is a cover, 
was released as a single. I think it was, I don't know if it was released as a single. It may have been a B-side, but I know it was on the Days of Thunder soundtrack. Um, But it's just so mind-blowing. It's like, holy, I mean, you're hearing the classics that was out at that time, like, you know, Patience. There's like an electronic version of it a little bit. Um, you're hearing Patience, Welcome to the Jungle, Paradise City, Sweet Child of Mind. Um, you're hearing those, and then it's just mainly shit from the Use Your Illusions album. And like, you're just like, oh, cool, man, they're playing this song. But like, the thing that nobody really thinks about, I don't think, is like, these songs weren't out yet. Like, they weren't out out there. You know, just talk about hearing songs before they get released, man. That's, it was crazy. And I fucking love Guns N' Roses. They're one of my all-time favorite bands. And I identify a lot the older I get with Ian the Shark from Airheads. You know, he's talking to Chaz about music and he's like, the older I get, I stick to the classics. And that's me. You know, I love some new stuff, but ultimately I do go back to the classics. You know, I'll go through this rabbit hole, but like I'll find myself listening to Van Halen, Guns N' Roses, Led Zeppelin, you know, that's just how I am in my getting old age or whatever. I don't know. I didn't have anything clever to say. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend watching that and it's fucking great. And another thing that I read about was apparently they were shooting a documentary during the Usual Illusions tour. You have to like let me remind you that like Guns N' Roses was a big band, you know, prior to the release of Usual Illusions, but when those albums came out, they became fucking bigger, man. It's just oh my god, it's crazy. That was rock music when I was a little kid. You know, and it's just it's so mind-blowing because, you know, now in 2022 it's like Oh, you know, Guns N' Roses is one of the legendary bands, but this was like before they got launched in the stratosphere even fucking more. I mean, it's, dude, wonderful. But anyway, they shot a documentary during that tour, the Illusions tour, but they shelved it because, you know, the band essentially broke up after that tour. Like, I mean, they didn't, it didn't, well, they didn't really break up. Members left. Axel kept replacing people. So the documentary, I guess, uh, Axel is the rights holder and he's just like, I'm not releasing this. So that might be something a will never see or B they'll pull like what Neil Young just did and record um, and release a documentary. I think the album's called harvest. I think I'm not too sure. I'm not a big Neil Young fan. I know a few songs. I know who he is. I know he's not a big fan of Joe Rogan, but anyway, he filmed this documentary like 50 years ago and I don't know if he shelved it or he forgot about it, but they just now released it. I have a feeling that this GNR documentary that supposedly exists will suffer the same fate, but only time will tell. I have a love-hate relationship with the music biopic. You know, I love the music I'm going to hear, and I love how familiar I am with, you know, some of the band's music and the history of the band. Because, you know, when I discover a band... Or listen to a band for the first time i'll deep dive i'll listen to everything and then i'll do research on them learn about the history the band members the albums so when i go see a movie about a band that i know a lot about or a little bit about i like to see that familiarity on screen um and i also like going to see music biopics of bands or artists i don't know too much about because nine times out of ten after that movie's over you know i'm on my computer you know listening to the iconic albums they have watching live performances you know reading about them you know so it definitely some most of the time sparks my interest what i hate about them is sometimes how inaccurate they are like take for instance bohemian rhapsody i grew up a huge queen fan i'm still a huge queen fan you know one of they're probably one of the most underrated bands of all time and you're probably like, well, they're popular. I mean, yeah, but how many people go beyond the greatest hits? I mean, that's fine and all. I mean, you're just 
least you're enjoying the music at that point. But dude, they had so much great shit out. I remember I went to go see that at the theater here in town and the theater owner's a huge queen fan. And we were talking before we went into the theater and he's like, you're a huge queen fan. I was like, yeah, yeah I am. He goes, the most obscure reference you'll get in this movie is they mentioned hot space. I was like, holy shit. They mentioned that record. He's like, yeah. And from right there, he knew I was a huge queen fan too. But Bohemian Rhapsody, the one thing I really didn't like, it was they centered it around uh, the live aid performance, which is the best live performance ever televised on TV of all time. It's the best live TV performance. I should have just said that before. Um, but they centered around it. I mean, so it was 1985. You know, Live Aid's going on. It's happening. Prior to that, Queen kind of... Yeah, I mean, they were kind of on hiatus a little bit because they were all doing solo projects. The one worth mentioning, though, Brian May did this EP called The Starfleet Project. His son used to watch um, this TV show called Starfleet or something. And... Brian May is like, well, you know, Queen's not doing anything. Let me go to a studio in California and get some of my friends. So he recruited Mr. Eddie Van Halen to play on this. And the main track, Starfleet, dude, there's like a guitar battle. Like, I've not heard, like, uh, I'm just, dude, I'm like, I'm still speechless over it. It's like, you got Brian May of Queen, one of the greatest guitar players of all time. And then you've got Eddie Van Halen, who could possibly be the greatest guitar player of all time on one fucking track just shredding it's crazy please pause this and go listen to it it's called the brian may starfleet project it's just insane i actually have a copy of it on vinyl one of my favorite vinyls i own so like i said they were doing like solo projects and they kind of haven't been as popular as they were but live aid brought them back Kind of a little bit, but it, they made it seem like their whole career was weighing on it, and it it really wasn't. Like they had, like I said, they'd been kind of out of the loop for a little bit, and which happens in music, you know, the shift, musical shift had changed at that point. I mean, you know, bands from the seventies were dinosaurs at this point. You know, new wave and electronic music was definitely more of everybody's liking at that decade. But you know, they they weren't going to break up. They as I feel like has from what I've read and what I've seen in documentaries, they were just on hiatus. Did not dig that. And another thing that really fucking irked me was they showed them recording the game and the game's a fucking phenomenal record. I mean, everybody thought the flash soundtrack was amazing, dude. Listen to the game. Um, in the movie, they're like, well, you got to record something for the MTV generation. The game was released in 1980. MTV didn't start broadcasting until August of 81. They need to fire their fucking fact checker. But maybe that's just me kind of being a disgruntled fucking music nerd. I don't know. But like, I'm just, that's just pointing out the inaccuracies. And the one other thing I don't like is the over dramatization of certain events. You know, case in point, I watched Pistol. I was not a fan. Um, I still love Steve Jones. You know, his book, it was based off his book, Lonely Boy, which is a great read. Um, but there was a scene in the movie where they were writing Anarchy in the UK. And Johnny Rotten's like, I am an antichrist. I am an anarchist. I may have gotten those backwards. I'm sorry if I have. Please don't take my Sex Pistols fan club card away. I'm a huge Sex Pistols fan. One of my all-time favorite bands. But he sang those lyrics or just said those lyrics. And there was like this long dramatic pause and everybody's jaw was dropped and i'm like i call horse shit on that i can 
probably see them nodding like, oh, that's clever and shit. But it reminded me of that part in Walk Hard when Dewey would come up with a fucking song title and like he'd have this look of stroke of genius. That's what I think what happened. I always think of that when I watch these music biopics and the same shit happens. I'm like, I doubt it fucking happened. I mean, strokes of genius just come. They come and you're just like, all right, that that's that could possibly work, and you move on. You don't really know until you record it and it gets out there. You know, it's not nobody's a fucking fortune teller. But enough with that. There are music biopics I do like. I love La Bamba. Um, that one really got me into the history of rock and roll because it's about Richie Valens, and I think the oldest music I listened to at that point because I was a really little kid was like the Beatles, and it made me go. Before the Beatles, you know, I started listening to stuff like Chuck Berry, Elvis Presley, Eddie Cochran, Richie Valens, and it's just, it's really cool to see where rock music started from and, you know, of course, what it involved to. Um, I love the Doors movie, even though that's mainly inaccurate, you know, I mean, it was so bad that Ray Manzarek, you know, refused to be an advisor for the film. You know, one instance, uh, they showed Jim quitting film school. He actually graduated with a degree in cinematography he actually made a movie it's called highway i'm pretty sure you can find it on youtube they've never officially released it i think they put clips of it in a documentary i think it's in the one that johnny depp narrated it's called when you're strange which is an odd documentary i'm a straight ahead forward documentary guy like i want to know where all the band members are from how they formed you know how they struggled at first became a success and all that stuff i don't like these kind of obscure avant-garde like oh we're just going to talk about the summer of 68 and then you know we're just going to talk about that year and that's the documentary that's kind of of course it's been a really long time since i've seen it i could be wrong about it but i like that but that movie was just funny like me and my high school best friend bought that movie at the same time and i remember him coming to school he's like dude you see that doors movie i was like dude it's fucking funny and we'd always quote it and just like it was just kind of like an inside joke to us but those are two of my favorites I'm pretty sure I have more, but I can't think of them. But the biopic I feel that did get it right is Weird, the Al Yankovic story. I loved Weird Al since I was a kid. First time I ever saw him was on Dick Clark's Rockin' Eve. He played Gump in front of the presidents of the United States. You know, my dad thought it was hysterical. He was like, oh, at least, you know, they're good sports about it and whatnot. And that kind of, that introduced us introduced me and my brother to weird Al, so we became fans i've yet to see him live my little brothers have that's definitely somebody on my list i want to see live but i've just always enjoyed his his work his art it's just it's so funny it's so wholesome too um his music videos are great too i love just i don't know there was something about song parodies i really liked growing up and i still do there's some of his stuff that i enjoy more than the original one like gump i do no offense to the president of the united states I love that song tacky and I remember when that song came out and I posted it on my Facebook. I was like, leave it to weird Al to point out the faults in our society. And it's just a great tune. But I remember watching the complete Al on home video. I rented it from Hollywood video. And that's a mockumentary of his like humble up humble beginnings. Cause it was released in 85 and that's kind of at the peak of his career at that point when it was taken off in the eighties great great documentary and i kept thinking about it as i was watching this movie because i remember when the trailer got released i mean it went everywhere i know they did a funny or die like kind of parody trailer and that kind of you know that got seen but not as much as the actual movie trailer and i remember sitting there watching it and i was like what like 
Weird Al Yankovic is like the least controversial figure in like entertainment. Like he's wholesome. You know, he had a great upbringing. His parents were very supportive. I was like, this is the exact opposite of that. And I'm sitting there thinking, I was like, that's the fucking joke. Holy shit. This is, that's great. You know? And then I thought about the complete Al, which was kind of like the same thing. And then it's behind the music, which was the least sad, the least like depressing behind the music that's ever been aired. Um, and I was like, well, he's, he's fucking taking a piss at these biopics, dude, God love him. This is going to be great. So I watched the movie a couple days after it made its premiere. It's on the Roku channel app streaming. And I absolutely loved it. It's he literally, I think he's probably either as annoyed or just kind of wanted to poke fun either as annoyed about music biopics as I am, or he just wanted to take a piss at it. Cause that's been his whole career. He's always parodied other people's songs. I mean, he doesn't hate the music. He's just like, well, I can be funny and just kind of add another perspective to said song, you know, a view to it. And I just love how totally backwards it is. Cause like I said, at weird Al's like the least controversial figure in entertainment. Like he didn't have a bad upbringing, never had an addiction problem and shit. I mean, according to some of his friends, he used to love desserts and shit. And that's not as bad as having a drug or alcohol dependency issue. Um, and it's this film's just totally backwards and whatnot. Um, and it's just so funny that he came up with the songs and then the artist that he parodied from essentially kind of parried him afterwards. I thought that was really funny. I love how his dad hated the accordion and <laughs> how he went to accordion. It's just, it's a fucking funny movie. I absolutely loved it. The one thing I really did love and the one thing I, I caught when when I was watching it was the pool party scene. I'm sitting there watching it and I was like, why does this look like the Boogie Nights pool party scene when um, Jack introduces everybody to Dirk for the first time? And that's exactly, they were, that's what they were aiming for. I was like, holy shit, I was right. And anyway, in this scene is awesome. He's rubbing elbows with like Salvador Dali, Andy Warhol, Frank fucking Zappa. Oh, it's just great. I absolutely love this movie. And I'm not going to spoil too much of the hidden jokes and the meanings and shit, but it's great. Daniel Radcliffe did an amazing job. Actually, I think this is the first movie I've ever seen with him. Um, didn't really watch the Harry Potters. I'm probably going to get my movie card taken away for that, and I do apologize. But, you know, when Harry Potter came out, like, you know, my mind was elsewhere. I was in high school. You know, I discovered metal music and all sorts of shit. So the last thing I wanted to watch was some little kid who was a wizard. No offense. Maybe someday I'll sit down and watch them. You know, I'm not taking them away. I'm glad people enjoy them. I'm glad some of my audience enjoys them. It just, they work for me. But I think this is the first movie, honestly, I've ever seen Daniel Radcliffe in. And he did a great job. He kind of doesn't look like Weird Al because, you know, fucking Daniel Radcliffe's ripped, dude. But amazing. Rain Wilson deserves the best supporting actor role oscar for his portray of uh dr demento because he was fucking wonderful and i loved i loved him in it just great film highly recommend it it's on the roku streaming app and i will warn you you will want to listen to a lot of weird owl after this which is not the worst thing in the world so i highly recommend like i said it's streaming on the roku app please do yourself a favor and check it out i definitely credit my parents for my love of films my parents divorced when i was six so on the weekends with mom we'd always go to the movies like any PG-13 rated comedy that was released between 93 and 2000, she took us to go see because she knew we loved Saturday Night Live. We loved Matt TV and she knew that's where our humor came from. Um, Dad didn't take us to the movies that often. He was a big renter, but he made up for it. You know, we I remember us spending weekends at Blockbuster, 
growing up. And I remember one time I was at his house on the weekend and he was about ready to put a movie in. And right before he put it in, he looked at me. He's like, this movie's going to blow your fucking mind, dude. Put the movie in. The movie was Escape from New York. And he was fucking right. That movie's awesome. Still one of my favorites. And I also remember watching the, my first James Bond movie that weekend, Goldeneye. So they definitely championed my love of film. And my mom more so. Because I remember when I became a teenager, we just went to the movies all the time. And just would watch. We'd seen everything. I remember she took me to go see A Mighty Wind. Uh, Super Size Me. And we even seen bad movies, but her the favorite part of it all for her was the car ride home, and she just asked me about it. She's like, so what'd you think about the movie? And I'd pretty much do what I'm doing now, and she enjoyed it. And I had a pretty good knowledge of movies at that point as a teenager. I mean, it's better now. I mean, that's still up for debate, but that's just how we connected. But the one movie that we really connected on was Almost Famous. And I remember she took me to go see it. It blew my fucking mind. It's still one of my all-time favorite movies. It's in my top 10. And I remember on the car ride home, she just kind of was like, I get you. I understand you a little bit better now. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you know, you're, you're just like that William Miller kid. You know, you relate to the bands that you listen to and the movies that you watch. And that's what William did. She's like, I hope someday you become William Miller and get to hang out with those people and have experiences like him. She's like, I get you now. I understand you a little bit better now. So about a week prior to Thanksgiving, my mom texted me. She's like, do you have any interest in seeing the new Spielberg movie, The Fablemans? I was like, I actually do. She's like, great, let's go on Saturday. Um, I watched the trailers, been watching the interviews. I was like, wow, you know, Spielberg's really opening up with this picture. You know, I mean, up until this point, I think E.T. was his most personal film. But... The Fablemans really is more personal because The Fablemans is based off his life, his family. And I guess his family had been razzing him, like, when are you going to do a movie about us? And he did with The Fablemans, so I wanted to see it. And I'd watched the Spielberg documentary that's on HBO Max. I highly recommend that. Um, so I kind of had an idea of what, he, what his childhood was like. And I think I, I did a report on him in the sixth grade, none of which I remember reading the book. I probably didn't. I probably like skimmed it and been like in 1981 in 1982, he made two movies. He made 18 poltergeist, which would probably get me in trouble on the internet. Um, cause that's a huge debate and that'll probably be a future episode, but anyway, I'm rambling. Um, so I, I definitely had an interest in seeing the Fablemans and it's a wonderful film. It's, you know, he grew up in a, he's a child of divorced, has an eye and has a, my mom is too. So it was pretty, it hit home a couple of times. I loved how it like bounced around and it did it such in a gracefully way. It's like, okay, he's six years old. He's discovering his love of movies. And that one I really connected with because the first movie I seen, the first movie I remember my parents taking me to was the 1989 Batman. We saw it at the drive-in. I remember being in the backseat of my dad's old Hyundai and my dad was just like, a kid in a candy store. He's like, finally, an updated adaptation of my favorite superhero. It's not corny and fucking cheesy like the Adam West one. No offense. I, I love the old Batman series, but this is like an updated, sleek, cool version of it. I remember my, my dad just being glued to the screen. My mom kind of didn't know what to think of it, and I remember being in the backseat of the Honda, just like, oh, there's a movie being played because I was two years old. That's actually my earliest memory. And I remember getting really scared when the Joker got tossed into the toxic waste dump 
pit thing and his hand coming up. I remember getting scared about that. I remember the Joker scaring me in that movie. So I thought about that when in the movie, I forget the character's name, but the kid that's supposedly Steven Spielberg, they go see the greatest show on earth. That immediately brought me back to that memory of seeing Batman at two years old. And then I showed him as a teenager and him making movies and him having a passion for it and just, you know, his parents being really supportive. His mom was super supportive. And his mom, well, the woman that's based off his mom, Miss Fableman, reminded me of my mom so much. I remember sitting there watching it. She's like, Steven, you you can go make your movies. You can you can do this for a living. If you dream it, you can do it. And my mom was the exact same fucking way. And she's still is. She's like, honey, I know you're pushing 40, but you can still make a movie. I mean, that Kevin Smith guy that you really like, he makes movies and stuff. And his dad was like, oh, it's, you're good at it, but, you know, you need to have a real career. Typical dad, by the way. Um, and another cool thing about it was they went back and, like, recreated his old movies, his old short films. And Spielberg's gone on the record and been like, yeah, I may have like made the shots better and shit. He's like, I can't help myself. And they actually shot on eight millimeter and 16 millimeter. And I'm a sucker for a movie done now that's shot on film. And it just looks great. I mean, it's a Spielberg movie. I mean, you can't expect anything less. The one thing I would love to see Spielberg do is like a low budget movie. And I know a lot of these directors, you know, with the studio systems being the way they are, they've talked about like scaling back and doing lower budget films. I'd like to see what guys like Scorsese and De Palma and Spielberg would do with like a low budget. I think they would do really good. And actually, speaking of which, Spielberg shot a music video on an iPhone. And I for, I don't know the artist's name or the song and stuff, or I tell you to go look it up, but I mean, you could just Google it. Like the music video Steven Spielberg shot on an iPhone. And I mean, that's probably the closest thing we'll get because this guy will always have studio backing for a mirror. I mean, it's Steven Spielberg, dude. Like, it's the one of the greatest of all time. And I love him. I'm a huge Spielberg fan. I love his films. I have not seen all of them. He's just really interesting, you know, because he started out doing short movies. And then, you know, he did uh, TV for the longest time. You know, Duel is probably the best TV movie of all time. Um, Sugarland Express, that was his, I think, his first major movie. Then he does Jaws. And then he essentially created the summer blockbuster with that. And then he went into Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And he was such a good sport that Star Wars outdid that. That he sent a letter to George Lucas, like, you know, hey, congratulations, friend. And it's funny, too. You know, Spielberg hung around guys like Martin Scorsese, Brian De Palma, Francis Ford Coppola. Um, George Lucas and one of my favorite stories is Lucas showed like a really rough cut of episode four to his friends because they all had the same friends obviously they all went out to dinner afterwards and like they all just ripped him apart they're like your fucking career's over Lucas that movie was shit and just like all of them the only person that believed in him was Spielberg he's like that was amazing you're gonna fucking you know this is gonna be huge you're gonna change the world with this fucking movie dude and you know spielberg was right um then he did 1941 i love that movie it was actually a cheap dvd that i bought back in the day it was like 4.99 at like meyer i think and i picked it up and i was like oh cool dan Aykroyd and john belushi and i was like oh it's a fucking spielberg movie awesome and i watched it probably one of the best movies of the 70s um 
They needed Raiders of the Lost Ark, which later got changed to Indiana Jones and the Raider and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think that's the movie, the retitled, which is funny because Lucas did the same thing after Star Wars got released. It was just episode. It was just a New Hope, or something. I forget. I'm going on a tangent. I do apologize. I will try not to go through the Spielberg filmography, but I will go with what I know. Um, they needed ET and was a producer on poltergeist and there's some controversy that he directed both movies at the same time what do i think about it i think it's very much a toby hooper movie i think toby hooper did direct poltergeist but you have a hands-on guy like spielberg i mean obviously some of his trademarks are going to bleed through because it ultimately is a steven spielberg production as far as him directing a whole movie i really don't think that he did at least i hope he didn't because toby hooper's an amazing director uh, he, like I said, he did E.T. at the same time, one of the greatest films ever made. Um, I want to say Temple of Doom came after that. And then Spielberg really went through this renaissance. It's really interesting where he just kind of shied away from. And if I'm missing any Spielberg movies at this point, I'm about done with my Spielberg little mini historical kind of rant about Spielberg. Um, then he kind of shot away from like these big budgeted movies, like these big special effects movies. And he made stuff like the color purple empire of the sun. Empire of the sun is one of my all time favorite movies. It's definitely one of my all time favorite Spielberg films. And it was funny too. Cause I remember that movie always seeing that movie everywhere. And I remember it being like an advertisement for like VCRs. It's like, when you go buy this VCR, pick any of these two movies for free. Empire of the Sun was always a part of like that package and whatnot. And I always remember it being a cheap title too, and I was like, "What the hell is this?" Because you know the cover art's very minimalistic for a Spielberg movie. Because anytime Spielberg does a movie and the poster art gets released, it's just it's eye catching. And I remember I was at a thrift store looking at videotapes, and I seen it, and I was like, "Oh, that's that movie I seen all my life. What the fuck is this?" And I picked it up, and I seen a Steven Spielberg film. I was like, "Holy shit, fucking Spielberg did this!" And I turned it around to read it. And I see a 12-year-old Christian Bale. I was like, fucking Christian Bale's in this? Dude. So I went home. I bought it. Went home, watched it. And it blew my fucking mind. I was like, holy shit. I love movies that appear to be really small, but are grand in scale. You know? I mean, and that movie is definitely the definition of that. And I really, I really loved it. You know, the movie's about this privileged 12-year-old British boy. Him and his family live in, I think it's Shanghai during world war two and the country gets invaded. He gets separated from his parents and he spends the duration of the war in prisoner of war camps. And that's how he grows up. That's how he learns how to take care of himself through these, um, GIs get captured. They like, you know, take him under their wing and like, you know, teach him how to be a man and a doll. And it's just a fucking wonderful movie. I cannot stress that enough. So he did those movies, and he did, he did Always, too, which I haven't seen. There's a lot of Spielberg shit I haven't seen, but that's pretty much my knowledge of Spielberg up until... And then he did The Last Crusade, which was pretty awesome, you know, seeing Indiana Jones team up with Harrison Ford. I mean, not... Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones. Sean Connery teaming up with Indiana Jones. Um, that's pretty much my knowledge of Spielberg. And then he did Hook. I love Hook. I remember my parents taking me to go see that movie, and... Years later, I did not know Phil Collins had a cameo appearance in that film. Blew me away. And it also kind of explains my Phil Collins fandom that I have. Um, so that's pretty much my knowledge of Spielberg. I kind of went on longer about it when I did. But like I said, I'm a huge fan. I definitely need to reacquaint myself with this later stuff because 
I've pretty much seen almost anything up until his stuff in the 2000s on. I mean, like I said, I did catch Ready Player One, which was amazing. But sorry, I went on a tangent, but um, I do that sometimes. So Fableman's phenomenal movie. Um, it made me love my parents a little bit more because, you know, you know, like I said, I dealt with divorce and whatnot. So it definitely made my made me love my parents a little bit more. Um, made me miss growing up with my siblings, like living with them. And it also made me miss certain parts of my childhood. And I was, I was so baffled when I got out of the theater. I was like, holy shit. I did not think a Spielberg movie would make me feel all these feelings, but it did. So great movie. Go check it out. I'm pretty sure it's still in the theaters. You're not going to get the same, the same day theater streaming window. Cause it's a fucking Spielberg movie. And the one thing I'm going to stress is these greats aren't going to be around forever. So when they go release a movie, go to the fucking theater and see it. Just, I mean, I treat these great directors that are getting older, like bands, you know, I'm going to go see that in the theater be like, man, I remember seeing that in the theater. That was great. You know, I didn't have that experience sitting and watching it streaming and on video. Like I went out and seen that film. So do yourself a favor and do the same thing. One last thing about the Fablemans I will talk about is I love the Hogan's Heroes reference. Um, I remember we got back in the car to go home and my mom's like, they mentioned that fucking Hogan's Heroes show your dad used to make me watch. I was like, it's 30 years later. He's still watching that shit. It's still a good show. And then I also loved the David Lynch cameo. I'm not going to tell who he is, but I'm going to guarantee you this much. I was the only one in that theater and the theater wasn't packed that knew who he was. And I was pretty proud of myself, but I didn't go around being like, hey, that's the guy who did Blue Velvet because I probably would have been met with the, I don't fucking care, but so Fableman's great movie out in theaters go see it and that'll do it for episode 13 thank you for tuning in you know a huge thank you to my fans I love each and every one of you and one of the things I love about this is like I created something and people enjoy it I do apologize for not putting out as much as I plan to but you know I've had some stuff going on in my life that needed my attention you know I'm going to be okay you know the important thing is life will drag you down sometimes but the important thing is you get back up dust yourself off and keep fucking living life man and that's exactly what I've been doing um and I don't want to go on too on with this outro. So again, thank you so much. Uh, have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year until next time and possibly until next year. Thank you, everybody.